You're listening to Soul Roadmap, episode 62. Welcome to Soul Roadmap Podcast. Each week, you'll hear strategies and inspiration to take action and live life better. Hi, I'm Dina Cataldo, lawyer, coach, and entrepreneur. This podcast is your roadmap to creating more success in your life, business, and relationships. Let's get started. Today's guest is someone who has a lot in common with lawyers, even though his career took a very different turn. He is a recovering perfectionist, which I know so many of us can relate. We have a far-ranging conversation today about designing a life that includes more ease, but we focus a lot on perfectionism. Perfectionism is a common theme that comes up on this podcast because perfectionism shows up in so many different ways in our lives. A lot of people, ahem, you may be one of them, I certainly was at one point, use perfectionism as an excuse not to put their work into the world. If it's not our interpretation of whatever perfectionism is, then we won't ever share it. Perfectionism can be something we do to create a buffer between what we want to create in the world and ourselves. It keeps us from getting hurt if it's rejected, if we are rejected, because that's really how we feel when we put something in the world and someone doesn't like it, right? It could be a legal brief, a book, or an opinion we have on social media. We say, it's not perfect, therefore it's not good enough to show others. We hold ourselves back from fully engaging in the world to grow into the person we're meant to become. Perfectionism can prevent us from starting something new because we won't be perfect at it, however you define perfection in that area, right? How many times have you thought about a hobby or something out of the box that you might do, maybe even writing a book, playing an instrument, or even starting a podcast because you're not good enough to do it? So what's the point of starting it in the first place? What's the point of sharing a piece of ourselves if it's just going to be shot down by others? One of my favorite, favorite books on this topic is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, which I'll link to in the show notes at dinacataldo.com forward slash 62. There he writes, our job in this life is not to shape ourselves into some ideal we imagine we ought to be, but to find out who we already are and become it. How do we do that? By taking action, imperfect action over and over again. We take action, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it means opening ourselves up to making changes in how we're doing things right now, like reconnecting with ourselves. I bet you can't wait to start talking about being uncomfortable today, right? Wow, I can really sell a show. (laughs) But before we get started, lawyers, I want to let you know about a free training I created for you. If you're on the way to burnout or feel overwhelmed, this is for you. I'm calling it Lawyer Transform Your Life. It's a compilation of some of my best trainings, and I send you several emails over the course of about two weeks to move you through this free transformational program. You can get it in the show notes at dinacataldo.com forward slash 62. This free program might be the reset you need right now. So be sure to grab it at dinacataldo.com forward slash 62. Okay, let's talk about perfectionism and being uncomfortable being imperfect humans. Perfectionism blocks us from finding out who we really are, of becoming who we really are, because we don't allow ourselves to see what we're truly made of. 
perfectionism paralysis became apparent to me several years ago when I recognized I needed to do something more than practice the law to feel fulfilled. For me, that was starting a business. I filled my head with the practical information that I needed, but what really moved me forward was simply doing the work and putting it out there, even though it wasn't perfect, even though I was uncomfortable and fearful of what people would say, even though it wasn't as good as what was in my mind or what others were doing already. That meant doing video before I was ready. It meant writing blogs and doing podcasts before I was ready. It meant making offers to sell before I was ready. It also meant not comparing my beginning to someone else's middle. In order to become who we really are, to see what we're meant for, we must overcome perfectionism and act in the world. My guest today will walk you through steps to see what's happening in your brain and address it. He is a classical musician turned yoga teacher turned mindfulness and productivity coach who has a lot to say about perfectionism as well as the need for mentors who can guide us through difficult moments where we're tempted to let perfectionism prevent us from acting. He followed the path of being a perfect student, just like many of us high achievers, and he followed the perfectionist path in which a single wrong note would get you fired. How's that for high pressure? He holds multiple degrees, including one from the Peabody Conservatory of Johns Hopkins, which has produced Pulitzer Prize-winning composers, musicians for professional orchestras like the LA and New York Philharmonics, and Grammy winners. Now, in addition to being a musician, he teaches high achievers to slow down and become more mindful, to become more productive. He runs Mindful Productive, where he is a coach to ambitious entrepreneurs. In the show notes, I'm linking to his website where you can find a five-minute morning routine to try out. You know what a morning person evangelist I am, so you'll want to check that out. You can learn more about Mindful Productive and get his morning routine at dinacataldo.com forward slash 62. And without further ado, let me introduce you to the lovely Travis Baird. Hi, Travis. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Dina. It's a uh, beautiful morning. (laughs) It is a beautiful morning, isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I am going to ask you to introduce yourself because you have a really interesting story and we'll we'll dive into it, but just kind of give us a snapshot of what it is that you do. I am a mindful business coach, speaker, and founder of Mindful Productive, where I help high-achieving professionals get the clarity, confidence, and control they need to do their best work free from overwhelm and burnout. So I'm all about simplifying systems, getting clear on what's most important and reducing clutter so that you can achieve the goals that you want to achieve rather than feeling constantly overwhelmed and on the edge of burnout. Yes, I love all of this. And for those of you who are listening to this, you should know that Travis has behind him a nice, clear background. He's got this nice shelf and it just looks lovely. He's very organized. So I really wanted to talk to you because what you've done in the past is so similar in terms of the perfectionism aspect of being a lawyer. Because I know from my own experience, when you're a lawyer, you feel that you have to be on top of things 100% of the time. And really, you do, especially when you're dealing with people's liberty or large amounts of money. You know, there's big determinations on the line. And I think that drives a lot of lawyers to perfectionism and eventual burnout. And what you do or what you have done was really similar. Can you please explain that? 
Yeah, absolutely, Gina. So my first career was as a classical musician, and I have bachelor's, master's, doctoral degrees in music performance. And if you're familiar with classical music or the classical music world at all, you know that it's a world that is very, very competitive. And in order to get jobs, the overarching feeling and sometimes the truth is that if you make a mistake, you don't get the job. You don't achieve whatever the thing is, which among those of us who are trained in that way, and attorneys often share the same thing, (laughs) we get to the point where we only fear mistakes rather than embracing the possibility or of our goals or trying to feel positively about them. We only act from a place of avoiding mistakes, which can create so much tension and fear long-term that it becomes chronic stress, that it ultimately leads to burnout and feeling like we can't possibly do it anymore. And I hope that the person who needs to hear this is listening right now because that's exactly it. It's working from that fear of making a mistake. You will always make a mistake in your life. There will always be something that you don't do correctly. Can you tell us how you entered this world of mindfulness? What really brought you into it? Yeah. So while I was working on my master's degree, I was living in Baltimore at the time and I lived about three blocks, four blocks from a yoga studio. And I grew up not introduced to yoga or mindfulness or anything like that. So a friend of mine once recommended, hey, why don't you go check it out, see what it's like. It's really cool. I like it. So I went to a yoga class and like a lot of people's first yoga class, it was hot and I nearly passed out. I almost had to leave the room. It was not a pretty experience. Very unpleasant. But it opened a door for me, realizing that there was a lot in my physical awareness that I wasn't aware of, I hadn't noticed. And then what that eventually opened as I continued going back, because I did go back, was a realization that there was a lot going on mentally, internally for me that I was not aware of. At the time, as a musician, I was struggling a lot with my own feelings of burnout and with stage fright, performance anxiety, which, as you can imagine, for musicians, the same again as with attorneys, if it's hard to perform under pressure, then it's very difficult to do the work. So that's when I first started exploring mindfulness as an approach for all of this. And it really allowed me to open up a lot in my own performing life. And then as I got closer to the end of my doctorate, I realized that I wanted to pursue helping people with the mindfulness for managing stress, for managing overwhelm aspects of that. So as soon as I graduated, I created my first business around that. That's fantastic. So one of the things that I find interesting is that perfectionism, which leads to burnout because you were just striving all the time. You can't make a mistake and you can't ask for help because to ask for help is weakness, at least in the legal profession, it seems that way. And all of this really appears to be celebrated by our profession. Is that the same way as it is in the musical profession? Absolutely. Fortunately, there is a tradition of having a mentor when you're in school, when you're getting your education in the music world. Much as there is now, I mean, for me, most of the people I work with run small businesses. They're either entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, or I have several clients who are attorneys, same thing, where a lot of times you do have a coach or a mentor. But there is still this feeling of, for the perfectionists among us, (laughs) which I consider myself one, it is very difficult to ask for help. And it can feel like if we have to ask for help, that's proof that we're not good enough. That's proof that we aren't actually worthy of success. Because if we need someone else's help, then we must not be very good or very smart. 
Yeah. I think even among business owners, I find this a lot and I've seen it in myself too, where I might think to myself or someone else might think, well, I can do it better myself. I can do it faster myself. But really what it comes down to for business owners is where is your time best spent to create value for other people? And it's the same thing for lawyers is where can your time and energy be best spent to create value for the people that you're trying to serve instead of doing something that you can hire out, that somebody else can do for much cheaper than you because your higher amount is going to be much higher. Do you see that coming up a lot for the people that you're coaching? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of times it's a matter of determining what you most are aligned with in your work. So what is your zone of genius? What are the things that only you can do in your business? And then if there are things that are causing you a lot of stress, turmoil, difficulty that someone else could do or even potentially do better, then as soon as it is possible to outsource that, that is the thing to do. (laughs) Because like you said, it only opens you up to the ability to do your own best work, the important work that you do, even more skillfully with more energy and spend more of your time doing that. I think you hit on something really important there. And that's really recognizing how you feel when you're doing a task. I know that I was completely disconnected from how I felt when I was working in the way that I was working early on in my legal career. I was driven to work really hard and I wanted to prove myself as if I wasn't already 100% valuable the way I was. I felt this driving need to prove myself. I was definitely a people pleaser. I did it in such a way, worked in such a way that I didn't even create time for myself to recognize what I was feeling. So I wouldn't even have been in a position to say, oh, you know what? This particular task is giving me a lot of stress. How can I do this differently? How can I make this easier on myself? When you're working with clients, can you share with us some of the tools that you use with them to help them reconnect with themselves so they can start to see what's going on in their life and how they can make their lives easier? Absolutely. Yeah, this is a huge thing. And it was a big deal for me too. Fortunately, I had support as I was working through this myself. And now the thing that I do with my clients is I start with exactly what you said, building awareness of what's happening. Because if you don't have awareness of what you're experiencing or what your needs are, what your wants are, then it's very difficult to take those next steps. So the easiest ways I found to do that are to approach it in very small increments. So for example, each morning as part of your morning routine, and I know you're big on morning routines. Oh yeah. <laughs> I am too. So approaching it from a standpoint of before I start my work, checking in with what is most important right now? What do I need right now? And just taking a couple of moments to ask that. I had a client recently who described this as she always approached things from a standpoint of what do I need to do right now? Like what is the action I need to take? Which a lot of us who are high achievers type A perfectionists tend to do that. We just focus on action, constantly taking action. That can be good, but it can be a problem if you get out of touch with what you're experiencing and what your needs are. So she described that as step one for her was always, uh, what action do I need to take? And then when we started talking about this, when we started working on illuminating, what do I need right now?
right now? What do I need today? What's most important to me? And there are lots of ways you can do that, but just creating a little bit of space can open up so much possibility. And I know that you've created a freebie for listeners, so we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes so you'll be able to get that if you're listening right now. So can you give us some of the signs of somebody who is on the verge of burnout? Because there might be people listening who, you know, they are not afraid of hard work. They might be in a grind right now and they're listening to this podcast in their car and they feel like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be a lawyer. Maybe I shouldn't be a doctor. Maybe I shouldn't be an engineer. And they're having all these self-doubts because they don't feel like they're really good at what they're doing. They feel like they're working so hard and they're not creating the results that they want in their life. What kind of things can people begin looking for? Like maybe somebody's resonating with what I just said in their lives to say, hey, you know, there's actually room for improvement where you are. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to like jump ship. It's, hey, let's take a look at what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So there are three, well, (laughs) there are quite a few different ways that burnout manifests, but they generally fall under three big categories for me. And the first one, the one that most people realize or are aware of first is chronic stress. This feeling of constant stress, constant anxiety, which leads to a feeling of chronic exhaustion. So if you are feeling exhausted all the time, if you wake up every single day and feel exhausted before you even start your work, then that is a possible signal of burnout. Of course, it could also mean like, for example, if you're a new parent and you aren't sleeping very much, then it might be just a symptom of you need more sleep. (laughs) But if burnout is a possibility, then feeling constantly exhausted is usually the first thing that people realize. The second thing, and this was the one that really illuminated for me when I had my biggest experience of burnout, was an unending feeling of negativity. So things that I used to normally feel positively about, excited about, or that I used to enjoy doing, suddenly it became something that I was cynical about, that I would constantly get angry. I found myself frequently asking myself, why am I so upset about this? And not really able to answer that question. So that kind of constant state of negativity, if that's not normal for you, could very easily be a sign of burnout. And then finally, and this is a big one, a feeling of reduced efficacy. So if you feel like you're doing your work less well, whether that's true objectively or not, if you feel like you're not, if you feel like you're making mistakes that shouldn't really be happening, then there's a good chance that burnout is part of your experience right now. Yeah, I see those symptoms all the time. (laughs) And I felt those symptoms. Those are definitely things that if you're listening right now, just kind of recognize, hey, what is going on? Because it's really just a signal. And it's not that you're doing anything wrong. It's just a signal that, hey, there might be something to take a closer look at. So what do you tell people who are starting to feel these symptoms coming on? They come to you, they say, hey, this is what I'm going through right now. What can I do? And I know that we've talked about doing something for a morning routine where you're creating some mindfulness, but can you give some tips for people who can start implementing something today and say, hey, you know what? This is a place to start. Absolutely. So like you mentioned, there are things that you can do that are like habits, routines, things like that in the morning. There's a lot of internal work that you can do that pays off very quickly with this kind of thing. So a big one, if you're a perfectionist, if that feeling of this needs to be perfect, if there's a fear of failure, if there's a fear that you might not be good enough, then one of the first things to do is to acknowledge and to really convince yourself to work with this feeling that perfect is not possible. Perfect is not achievable. (laughs) So 
getting to the point where you embrace the idea that for any goal, you are not trying to achieve perfection. You are instead aiming for growth, aiming for some positive outcome, aiming for a result that you want, or aiming for a process that benefits you or the people around you. So rather than if I make a mistake, then I am a failure, then it's reframing it for growth. So the way to do that, because obviously this is the question, how do you do that? (laughs) Is It's a three-step process for me. The first step is to notice when you're having these thoughts. So noticing when you have perfectionist thoughts. And that can just be as simple as kind of creating a catalog for yourself of when perfectionism pops up. For me, it's usually when I'm starting a new project. So when I feel procrastination coming on, that's usually perfectionism. It's often when I am nearing the end of something and I don't want to finish it because it's not quite perfect yet. Or it's when I feel really strong stress, like something isn't good enough. So creating a catalog of that and then noticing when those times happen, that's the first step, notice. The second step is to name it. So naming it internally for yourself by saying, okay, I see what this is. This is fear of failure. This is perfectionism. This is whatever it is for you. And then finally, the third step is to reframe it. So notice, name, reframe. And the reframing is really the active part here. The first two steps are essential, but the third one is where you'll get the real difference for you. And that is to say, for example, perfect is not the goal. Or I can do great work even though I feel this fear. Or I'm going to focus on this positive outcome. You know, you can build up, again, kind of your sense of a mantra library in this position, but notice, name, and then reframe. That structure over time will kind of teach your brain to see things in a different light, to see things from a place of possibility rather than fear. Yeah, that reframing is incredibly necessary. And that's how when I'm training people, it's like, okay, that's the thought that we're reframing to create a different feeling, to create the new actions, to create the new result. But the reframing is something that I get into when I talk about mantras, which I know some people don't like the word mantras, but I think (laughs) it sounds really cool. So I'm going to link to that podcast and a freebie that can give you all of these different reframes and maybe it'll trigger something for you to give you some ideas of where you can go with what Travis is explaining right now. All right. So we've got notice, name, and reframe. There was one thing I really wanted to explore with you because we were talking about fear. And when you are just beginning to get in touch with your feelings, there is a subtle difference that you might not yet feel in your body when it comes to fear because you're driving for perfection versus fear of a goal that seems impossible to you. All right. So when it's this unhealthy drive for perfection, you know, Seth Godin, he says, you know, just ship, you know, like you get it good enough and then you ship doesn't mean you can't tweak it and improve it in the future, but you've got to get it out into the world. So there's that fear that it's not perfect and you don't put it into the world. And then there's this other fear. I'm sure you've had this too. (laughs) We've all had it. Probably. (laughs) When you're looking at a big goal, let's say your goal is to, you know, I've talked to people whose goal is to make a million dollars or they've already made a million dollars. Then their next goal is to build their business to a multi-million dollar business. There is this fear that can put us in that same procrastination mode where we don't take those steps, the understanding what we're feeling understanding what we're thinking to bring us to that feeling. And then we get into this 
action of procrastinating, whether it's, you know, watching too much Netflix or it's eating on the couch or (laughs) sleeping too much, making excuses about time, whatever it is. And we don't take the action towards our big goals. Can you explain where that has shown up in your life? I'm assuming it has because you're here with me today. Yeah. (laughs) And how you deal with that particular kind of fear. And I know that it'll probably have some of the same steps, but can you explain some of the subtle differences? Absolutely. So of course, yes, this definitely comes up in my life. (laughs) I very much come at this from the standpoint of I'm working on these things just like anyone else. I mean, no one, no one achieves perfection on this either. Like no one becomes a perfect master of not being a perfectionist. That is a a contradiction. (laughs) So with this work, I mean, yes, when it comes to my biggest goals around my business, there are days and probably some of y'all listening will resonate with this. There are some days where I get up and it's so easy. Of course, I'm so excited. I can't wait to do my work. I feel very energized. And then there are other days and there's not necessarily a clear reason why, but there are other days where I wake up and just have this feeling of, oh my gosh, what am I doing? (laughs) Who am I to deserve these goals, to deserve this success, to be able to do this thing? And both days deserve awareness. So this is not to say that only on the tough days is it a good idea to pause and to see what's happening. But on the challenging days, if you want to kind of counter that, which I think is very beneficial, then it's often starting from a place of, okay, what is really important to me on a deep level about this work that I'm doing? What is my purpose? So getting back to that sense of why was this a goal that was important to me in the first place? And usually if you can get there, then you can reconnect with some measure of excitement that you had about it. So let's say on a given morning, I wake up and I feel overwhelmed and I reconnect with my purpose and I say, okay, well, now I feel a little less disconnected from my goal, but I still feel terrified or I still want to procrastinate. So what do I do now? Then the next step after that is to just find the tiniest next step you need to take. What is the one single thing that I need to do? And a lot of times as I'm making my plan for the day, part of my process is setting an action list for the day. And if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I will just write the one next thing and not even worry about the things after that until after I've gotten that first thing done. So what is the tiniest next step? And it can be really tiny. If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling that fear of failure coming up, especially if it's for a big goal, then make it tiny, make it the littlest possible step and then do that. And then figure out what the next one is in the moment. What's the next one in the moment with the next one. And as you stack up on top of that, you kind of return to that sense of, okay, I can do this. I can handle this. And then the third thing for me is I have discovered about myself that when I connect with other people, especially people who are doing similar types of work or people who are ideal clients of mine, whether they are clients or not, when I connect with them, when I speak with them, when I have a chance to just have a conversation, that almost always gives the benefit of you know, feeling really back engaged with the work that I'm doing. So a lot of people who work on their own, a lot of people who run their own businesses, we find ourselves in long periods of solo work or just talking with our colleagues or or people who are on our teams. So for me, the third step, if I have a day where those first two steps of reconnecting with my purpose and taking one simple step, if those are still not quite enough, then I will try to find a way to actually speak with, talk to, just have a conversation with someone who I know will help me kind of reconnect. And that is extremely beneficial and something that I only realized fairly recently in my life. For you, it might be different. For some people, for my wife, for example, she's not as extroverted as I am. And for her, it's more about having a moment to have silence and to slow down. 
So everybody's different, but uh, finding what that is for you can make a big difference. You know, that's something that, you know, I'm a huge evangelist of coaching because of exactly what you just said is it helps people get re-engaged with what they want. And if they don't know what they want, they can discover it. Not everybody can think their way into it. In fact, I actually don't think anyone can just think about whatever it is they want and then have that straight path to it. There's never a straight path. But the hurdles I think that we have most are all mental hurdles. Those mental hurdles are not something that we can see on our own most times. So that's why coaching is such a big deal is so that we can have somebody reflect back to us what our mental challenges are. Because oftentimes we look at things and we say, oh, it's a fact I can't do this. Oh, it's a fact I don't have time. Oh, it's a fact I don't have the resources, the energy, whatever it is. When in fact, that's not the case. What's going on is you're using your mental energy in a, in a way that's not serving you. You just can't see it because it's become such a habit that it's second nature to you. It doesn't even compute. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's this is where... I agree that having a coach, having someone to work with is the way if you are having trouble tapping into that, what is my purpose? Where am I going? Having a coach is the most beneficial thing you can do for yourself right away. It is a worthwhile gift to give yourself. Or if you don't like to think of gifts, it's a worthwhile necessity to give yourself so that you can achieve what it is that you're capable of. So I mean, when it comes to actually then uncovering the blocks... There is so much you can do with internal awareness, but there is no real substitute for having someone who can be there with you and also be shining a light on that and help you discover that. I was really curious when you were talking about how as a classical musician, you are actually given a mentor. Like there's actually a tradition of having a mentor help you. Can you explain a little bit about the foundation of that tradition because I feel that maybe if people understood a little bit more about that, that law firms might be proponents of creating really quality mentorship systems. And I think that there are some available in some firms and in some groups, but I don't feel that there is a tradition of this mentorship. I don't feel that there is a clear path for firms or practitioners to create a mentorship program for people. There might be some that are really quality, but I haven't seen it so much. So can you kind of explain a little bit of the reasoning for that and how it was that they helped you? Yeah, absolutely. So in music, starting from when, for anybody who's ever taken music lessons, you know what this looks like. If you have a private teacher, they are the one person who is helping guide you. And it's a one-on-one relationship. You meet probably once a week for an hour, varies time to time, but you meet one-on-one. And in that time, not only is there a transmission of information, so obviously you're learning technique, you're learning basics of how to do things, these are essentials, but then you are also getting support on the unique challenges that you're running up against. And the best mentors that I've had have been very skilled at seeing when there's something happening that maybe I may not be able to see in myself and to help me work through that. So for music school, for example, for working through a conservatory and continuing into a classical career, you have a single person who is your main primary teacher, your mentor all the way through that time. And then after you finish school, it's up to you to determine if you want to continue that relationship or to have another relationship with somebody else. 
but it's typical to have someone, a person who is very experienced, who knows how to guide and who's very good at that to be able to go to. And so like the colleagues of mine who are musicians who are out of school now, who are doing the best are the ones who have people they can reach out to when they run into roadblocks, when they run into, oh my gosh, I really don't know how to deal with this. This is hard, a lot harder than I thought. Or even just asking, you know, what did you do when you ran into this situation? So the tradition is kind of a longstanding one and speaks to the need for one-on-one work within an artistic space. Now I can make assumptions about this, that it's more than just learning the music. It's applying for positions. It's going in and performing at your peak level. Is it that kind of thing? Like really helping you bring out the performance in yourself that is going to be the most powerful? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's about, you know, determining when and how you're going to perform and what positions, what opportunities you're going to apply for in this country. And there's a strong uh, tradition of uh, music festivals and competitions. And for all of those things, you apply and there are auditions involved. And if you want jobs, same thing. So the mentor is part of helping you not just determine what is reasonable, what you're ready for, which in the best situations, that's a discussion you have together and not when it's dictated. (laughs) Sometimes it's dictated and that's not always the best. But then after that, as you develop, as you grow, then yeah, it's, they're usually going to be there. If you're giving a big performance, they'll be there to see it and then be able to help guide you to what's next to see what's happening in any performance situation. And this, I use the word performance very broadly. I mean, I think business owners, even people who don't work with people directly are performing on a certain level. When you're in that performance space, it can be very difficult to see objectively or subjectively with any sense of truth, what's happening in the moment, what you're doing, what you're putting out into the world. So having somebody to be able to guide you toward that is one of the best things. And I think attorneys in particular are well-suited to have that kind of work. And it doesn't have to take a ton of time. A lot of musicians, when you're in school, you get an hour a week with your teacher. So that's a certain amount of time. But then as you get out of that, you know, maybe it's just once a month or a couple hours a year even, just to be able to have that sense of support. And I think that this is such a great thing for people. I think that it's really a challenge for some legal communities to create the trust that is required to create these kinds of mentorships. I'm hopeful that this is something that is becoming more common. People are more aware of the need for these mentorships. At the same time, I know that the bottom line is what is most important in a lot of firms. I think that most people would agree. I've been very fortunate in that I am in a position where it's not that I'm trying to create money in my in my job. I'm trying to get as much work product out as possible is what the goal is, right? And that's the work product goal of a firm. It just translates into money, (laughs) but they want to pull all of that work product out of you that they don't necessarily, meaning the higher ups, they don't necessarily understand your needs as a human in order to create that work product. They're not looking at the whole human. They're just looking at the end result. So what would you suggest to somebody who might be in a position where they can mentor somebody where they feel that maybe they're not taking an active role in mentoring anybody right now, but they're listening to this and they recognize that there's a need for that mentorship within wherever it is that they work, whether they're working at a firm, whether they're working in a hospital, whatever it is, what kinds of steps would you suggest to them 
to offer their support to someone who might be suffering from burnout, who might be experiencing any of the symptoms that you've already explained? So one of the first things that has to be addressed is this question, Dina, which you already mentioned, and it's the big one in our current culture, which is, is this really just about the bottom line? Is it really just about maximum time usage, maximum efficiency, maximum dollars coming in, or maximum work coming in? For a lot of businesses, still, it's always just about get work through the door, get it done. But there is a shift. There's a trend happening. It's been happening for the last decade or two, but it's really picking up steam now where we're realizing that, especially in the kind of labor market we're in now, where you know people can just go find other work wherever they want, that's fostering the person, the people who are on your team, and making sure that they have what they need is the best way you can possibly guarantee success of your business. So if you want to genuinely do the best work in whatever kind of business you're doing, but in law in particular, if you want to do the best work, if you want to be able to have a great reputation in your community and have people just flocking to you knowing, yeah, these are the people to work with, then the best thing you can do is have a team that feels supported and that is actually supported and that feels confident and in control and not constantly on the edge of exhaustion. I spend time on that because it's easy to skip over this concept that the team is really necessary and it's scary to start to address, okay, well, how do I actually help them? So that's the first thing. Then if you are able to, and I think most people are able to in most work environments, if you're able to create a personal connection, it doesn't have to be formal. You know, spend a little bit of time each week with one or two people on your team who seem like they could use some face-to-face time. You know, take a few minutes and just ask them how things are going, you know, slowly, and it won't happen right off the bat, but slowly over time, build a relationship where they can come to you if there's something they're worried about. Most environments, I know for me, when I worked in jobs previously, I would never have gone to my boss and expressed a concern or fear that I wasn't doing well enough, something like that, because that triggers a lot of fear and imposter syndrome. But as you develop a relationship, it slowly gets easier. So approaching it from a non-perfectionist attitude of mentorship and just build relationships, start there. If you want to develop a program where there's mentorship, then you can create a system where a couple people once a week meet with you or other people who are leaders in your team, and then just make it totally explicit that the goal, the founding principle is openness and the ability to share and the ability to be vulnerable. That can be extremely helpful. In other environments, having peers do that with each other can be extremely beneficial. You know, having it to where people who are at a certain level are coming together to just be able to talk so that they know they're not alone. They know they're not in competition with each other. (laughs) They know that they're safe working with each other. That can be really beneficial. And then finally, the last thing, if resources are tight and everybody faces this point in their business at some point, if resources are tight, then there are professionals out there who can help you with this kind of work. If you have a team that seems like they might be overworked or on the edge of burnout, or even if just a few people are in that place, this is work that I do every day. This is work that I help people with. There are other professionals just like me who do similar work. So if it's a concern and you want some support on that, but you don't know where to start or you feel like the resources may not be there, then absolutely there are support systems out there, especially now in the age of the internet, it's easier to access those. There were a couple of things that you talked about there. One is, yes, you have to reach out to somebody. If you don't feel that there is a supportive 
vibe going on in your office, you feel like there is constant competition, it's time to reach out to somebody, whether it's Travis, myself, someone else to help with that support. It's an importance that you invest in yourself. I think it's really easy to ignore our needs as a human in favor of what we have been taught, you know, as a child, which is to just work, work, work. And eventually one day you'll reach this end point. That's simply not the case. <laughs> yeah. When you, you don't keep that in perspective, then you're really hurting yourself in the long run. I wish that is something that I understood that there were these spaces where I could reach out. And honestly, I don't think there were those spaces 13 years ago. If they were, they would not have been something that I would have even known to look for. But the other thing is that you mentioned is vulnerability. And it's a two-way street. I'm constantly mentioning in this podcast, the pet peeves that I have when people are asking you how you're doing, don't freaking just say that you're busy. I hate that. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, you don't want to share anything. It's like a wall. It's like you're putting up a wall. And I understand that there is a culture of suiting up in armor and thinking you've got it all together. And the fact that what is it? Brene Brown says that busy is like a badge of honor. And it's the same thing when you know you walk into an elevator and you're like, how are you doing today? Oh, I've got so much to do. Oh, I've just got like a ton to do. It's like, okay, I much prefer a conversation starter. Like, well, you know, there's this case that I'm working on right now and I'm trying to strategize what's going to happen with a witness. And that actually opens something up for a conversation. Or, you know, I'm feeling a little bit um, like I got a lot going on today and I'm not really sure how it's all going to get done. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure I'll find a way. There's different ways to connect. You have to be willing to connect and not putting up those walls. And the other thing is to mention that not hot wiring connection. So there's a difference between being vulnerable and going into an office and making a complaint like, oh my God, this judge was such an a-hole today. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, there was something that went wrong and they were just such a jerk about it. And you're very much just going into an office to complain. That's not really making a connection. That's trying to hot wire a connection. It's like a connection with somebody. And, you know, I'm guilty of that too. You know, we don't always recognize it when we're doing it, but it is a very different feeling creating vulnerability from like creating that sense of false connection. So just recognizing that it's a two-way street. Somebody comes in and asks you how you're doing, not just to say, oh, I'm fine, or I'm really busy right now, you know, whatever it is, be open to that kind of a connection. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's amazing how it can feel like when you ask somebody how they're doing and they say, oh, I'm busy or I've got a lot of stuff going on. It can feel like they don't want to talk to you. Like it can feel like an offense. I've learned and it's taken some practice, but I've learned to see that as a, a lot of times they're asking for help. I mean, they may not realize they're asking for help, but they're saying, I feel like I'm barely keeping my head above water here. Or they're saying, I'm so overwhelmed that I can't even think about talking to you right now. Mm -hmm. True. Sometimes there's other stuff going on if there's unique office dynamics where there's some animosity. But seeing that as it is, I mean, like you said, it's a two-way street. So when that happens, you know, taking the opportunity to either let that be, because if somebody's feeling really overwhelmed, it might not be the place to like force something. But if there's a way to then say, oh, 
you know, what do you have going on today? You know, if somebody says, oh, I've got tons, I'm, I'm super busy. They're like, oh, what's the thing that's like most pressing for you? Or what are you most excited about or worried about? Or, you know, pick the vibe. It depends on if you're in the elevator or if you're in a bright, beautiful conference room or what it is and how you feel that day. But using that as a chance to kind of springboard, a lot of us get stuck at that first immediate interaction and that makes it tough. I think another thing that comes up with this is a lot of times when we say, I'm really busy, or when we immediately jump into complaining about something else, that is usually an indicator of imposter complex. And that's a deep topic. We, we don't have a ton of time to go into that right now, but it's worth checking in with that because a lot of times there's a feeling of, I don't want to be found out as someone who feels insecure. So I'm going to control the narrative and make it about somebody else, complain about something else. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm going to overshare because I want to control the narrative because I don't want anybody else to be thinking about whether or not I'm actually good at what I do. And so that can be another fun way that imposter complex pops up. I love how this conversation has come full circle. And now we're back to mindfulness and recognizing how you feel. So when you enter these conversations with people, when you begin talking with people, then you are in a really good place to understand, okay, this is where I'm coming from right now. What am I doing right now? How am I showing up in the world? I like how we just kind of Awesome. We did that. We totally Yay. did that on purpose. We totally did that on purpose. <laughs> Planned oh, out from plan. the beginning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything you want to share with listeners before we start wrapping up? If you are in a place where burnout feels immediate, and we've all been there, I've been there myself, I know how in that place it can feel extremely intense and like nothing will actually help. I promise you, there is light on the other side. There is a way to come out of that. And there's a way to even enjoy your experience with life and connect with your work and do your best work even more on the other side. It might look differently than you expect. It probably will. (laughs) But there are ways, there is a possibility of feeling yourself again and to feel that connected with the world and with your body and with your colleagues. So if you're there, I just want to tell you that you're not alone and that it won't last forever. And if you can, if you have an opportunity to reach out to somebody deep down, I think we all want to support each other. And that possibility is always there for you. I love that. So Travis, tell us where listeners can find you. I'll be sure to link to everything that you mentioned in the show notes. Yeah. So I am at mindfulproductive.com. That's my website. And um, you can find out more about me and how I work with folks there. If you are a social media person, then on Instagram, I'm at Mindful Productive. Big surprise. (laughs) At Mindful Productive. And then on Facebook, Mindful Productive. You can find me there. If you want to connect with me personally, I always love talking to people about this stuff. Like I genuinely love these topics. So if you just want to chat and want to connect on like a personal level, feel free to either reach out to me at any of those places or I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me. Travis Baird is my name. You can find me that way. Thank you, Travis. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. This was a really great topic. Thanks so much, Dina. It was a real pleasure. A big thank you to Travis for being a lovely guest. Be sure to go to the show notes at dinacataldo.com forward slash 62 to grab Travis's free morning tips guide and links to everything we talked about today. I will talk to you next week, my friend. Bye. Hi, lawyers. If you love Soul Roadmap Podcast, I want to tell you about a couple things that will jumpstart your life. 
The first is the 10-Day Lawyer Life Detox. We clear out stress and overwhelm in this self-study online coaching program. You can learn more at dinacataldo.com forward slash work with Dina. The second is my signature online group coaching program. I do a couple times a year. While the 10-Day Lawyer Life Detox is like a quick refresh, the Lawyer Soul Roadmap is a deep dive. In this 10-week online program, I teach you how your brain works, why you do what you do, and how to reach your goals while creating ease in your life. If you're ready for more, join me at dinacataldo.com forward slash work with Dina. I'll see you there.